So Paul, little horse. Like, should we just call you pony? Would that be work? work? Yeah, you're like, no, no. Um, Wendy asked whether you like your name. I do not like my name. I'm stuck with it. Ralph, my middle name is Quinton. And, and it's, yeah, I know. You think it can't get much worse. And then mum and dad back it up with that. Um, uh, but, but Ralph means counsel of the wolf. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're thinking about me differently now. And Quinton means five. So I am counsel of the five wolves. Which I've no idea what that means. But it sounds great, doesn't it? I used to be a runner. And I say used to be much to the dismay and pain of my running coach. But when I started running, I did what I assume everybody does when they start running. I put shoes on and I went outside and I ran. And this went well for a couple of days until my shin started hurting. It was really weird. I'm sure it's never happened to any runner ever. My shin started hurting, my knees started hurting, my back started hurting, and I was beginning to fall to pieces because of doing exercise. It's not healthy for your exercise, it's just terrible. So I went to the doctor quite dismayed about what was happening, and the doctor sent me to the person who became my running coach. And he says to me, you're doing it all wrong. And I'm like, that is ridiculous. Because it's running, right? Running, you put one foot in front of the other, and you do it quicker and quicker and quicker, and the result is what? See, we're all in the same boat. That's right. So I'm like, it's ridiculous. He goes, no, 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 if you do that, you'll keep getting what you've got now. You need to run differently. You need to learn a different rhythm. I'm like, well, come on then, you're the coach. What's the different rhythm? Thinking this is going to be ridiculous. He says, it's quite simple. In the space of 60 seconds, every foot must hit the ground 90 times. No more, no less. He says, if you do that, a couple of things happen. One is you have to take smaller steps so you create forward momentum so it's easier to run. Two, your foot lands below your knee, not in front of your knee, so it doesn't hurt your knee. And when it lands in front of your knee, your tendons push you forward. So you avoid the natural braking system that a lot of us run with. Like, well, that's incredible. Does that actually work? He's like, well, I'm a running coach and my whole life is about that. So yes, I, I think it works. I'm like, what you're teaching me is a completely different rhythm to run by. Utterly different to anything I've ever thought of before. He says, that's right. If you do it perfectly, you can run forever. If your running technique is absolutely perfect, you will not get tired. You will be able to run forever, providing there is fuel going in. Like, that's amazing. And then as I was thinking about it, I'm like, that's, that's kind of what God calls us to. A different rhythm to run the race of life. See, God has a rhythm that he wants us to learn, and that rhythm results in joy and wisdom and wholeness and courage and forgiveness and empathy and rest and health and creativity and productivity and responsibility and all the other abilities you want to stick in there. And that name of the rhythm, that rhythm has a name. It has a name. It's not something new God's inventing today after I preach. He's like, oh, that's a good idea, Ralph. 
hadn't covered that one yet. Let me, let me work on that. God's, God's been over this for thousands of years. And the name of the rhythm is a name, it's a word you may have come across. It's the word shalom. Show of hands, who's ever heard the word shalom ever said in any degree? Yeah, shalom. It's a Hebrew word. It means peace. If we directly translate it, it means peace. You may have heard it as a greeting or a farewell. Someone says shalom. But its grander meaning is extraordinary. Shalom means complete well-being and harmony with your creator. That's what shalom means. It's the idea that the Bible uses to describe the ideal state of the world when all people are living in harmony with God. It's a different rhythm. That not just me as an individual is called to, and not just our church is called to, but all of creation is called to. It's a rhythm unlike anything our world understands. Interestingly, there's been a massive increase recently in the tech world of well-being apps. Who's got a well-being app on their phone? You can own up. I've got several. I've got several. So you get an app, and an app is a program that comes up on your phone that helps you to do things better. And so you can get an app to help you get in a better headspace, to help you remember to pray, to help you to meditate, to help you to fast, to help you to minimalize your life, to help you have healthier and better relationships, to help your thought patterns. You name it, there is an app out there for it. If you own an iPhone currently, any iPhone owners in the house? Nothing, I don't care whether you go for iPhone or whoever the other companies are. But if you have an iPhone, you have available to you right now 231,000 well-being apps right now. Your fingertips. To help you achieve a healthier life. Does that fill you with like a lot of excitement or makes you more tired? Where do I start? This tells us, though, that people are hungry for shalom. They're hungry for it. And these apps, they're sort of partial windows that we can look through these windows of apps and we can get a glimpse of what shalom looks like. And God says, walk in the front door. For 2,000 years or more, I've been talking about this in my scriptures. There is a front door I want you to walk through into shalom, to a life of peace, of feeling in sync with our creator, of wellness, of health. People are growing increasingly hungry for a different rhythm, one that's different to the one they, they currently have that doesn't cost them so much that isn't so relentless and punishing and replenishes and sustains them despite life's wear and tear. In fact, if I said to you, I can give you a new way of relating to people that is not so heavy on your heart, would you be keen for that? You're like, oh, if relationships were just a little bit easier, that, that'd be nice. What about a new way of thinking about or looking at your mental health? Like, whew, that, that sounds, sounds inviting. What about a better way to manage your finances or a better, more effective way to parent your kids or to infuse more joy into your marriage or empower you to see the world differently? Would you be keen for that? Right now I could go, here it is. Just me keen for that? We're keen for that, right? We're keen for that. I know we're keen for that. You're keen for that, but you're not sure if the person next to you is keen for that. 
Which is why you're not like, yes, I'm keen. You keen? We're keen. I know we're keen. Jesus actually talked about it. Jesus said this in some of his final words to his disciples. He said this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus was giving to his followers shalom. And he was giving it to them after showing them what it looked like in bodily form. He lived a life, he put on a clinic of how you do life with shalom to the point that his disciples were, show us more, show us more. And it gets right to the end. And he says, you're about to see what peace, you've seen what peace looks like in the most excruciating circumstances a person can go through. That is what peace looks for. And then he gives it to them. And shalom, it's, it's yours. I give it to you like a gift, like something they, they would have taken hold of. I have God's peace now. That thirst for a different rhythm we all have is actually a thirst for shalom. It's a thirst for peace. It's all one of the same. Now, you may not know this, but a title that was bestowed upon Jesus, it wasn't one he said, I hope you're going to call me this. They looked at Jesus, they knew Jesus, and they said, he is the prince of peace. He is the owner of peace and the generous distributor of peace. Peace belongs to Jesus and he shares it with us all. And Jesus knew that peace cannot be experienced in isolation. This might be a bit challenging for some of you, but I'm going to show you how it works. Let's say, and I hope it's not just me again, but let's say you're with a group of friends or you're at a thing and you get offended or you get hurt or someone does something to you that riles you up, right? Has that ever happened to anyone? No, two of us. All right, I'm just speaking to you and me. Um, so, so it happens and you go away from that Leave that situation and you're mad or you're hurt or you're disappointed or you're frustrated. Like, am I ringing true? Anyway? Okay. And you're like, I cannot live like this. I've got to sort myself out. And so you go through a process to calm yourself, to gain peace. And this might take a day or an hour or a week or a month, but you get to the point of going, oh, I've got peace about that situation, right? You feel good. And then you re-enter the situation. You bump into the person. You go back to the circumstance. And it's like peace evaporates the minute you get there, right? I'm not just to myself. You're like, peace is gone. Why am I feeling that which I spent a month dealing with over here? How is that possible? Well, what you thought was peace was just distance. When Jesus says, peace, I live with you. My peace, I give to you. The primary definition of that word peace, the primary definition of this understanding of shalom was a state of national tranquility. National tranquility. When you go away and you get peace and you come back and it's gone, you had local tranquility, local to yourself and to the surrounds you put yourself in. Not national, it never reached beyond here. It should have, right? It should have made a difference that when I came back here, it felt different and I was new and I was like, it doesn't matter, we're great, but it 
didn't because it was local. It was localized. It wasn't a national peace. We hadn't taken hold of the far-reaching nature of Jesus' peace. Jesus' peace isn't meant for us when we're alone. It's meant to make a difference when we're around people who are different from us. See, Jesus' peace, it reaches further. It has the capacity, Jesus' peace, to achieve national, or we would say international tranquility. Jesus' peace, it disrupts grudges and hurts and hatred and bitterness and difference and racism and sexism and everything else. Jesus' peace, when used in faith, disrupts everything that separates and divides people. It's amazing. That's shalom, right? That's shalom. Just what Jesus said. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You see, shalom, peace, it settles our hearts and it handles our fears. But we can only learn how to live like that when we live around people who are different from us. That's when it really finds its value. Otherwise, the best we can achieve is local peace, right? Not a far-reaching experience of Jesus' peace. That's why Jesus gave us the church. We have each other to practice, to train. Some of you feel bad if you ever think poorly about somebody else in the church. No, 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 Jesus is just training you how to get peace with them, how to make peace with them. So when you come to church, you're meant to be around people who are different. Let's do a little bit of experiment. Just look around the room. Okay, look around the room. Just Everyone can look around the room. Don't have to do or talk or anything. Just look around the room. How weird is everybody else except you, right? They're all different to me. They're not like me. They're not people I just hang out with. They're all a bit strange. I'm good, but they're all a little bit strange. Right? I'm with you. I'm with you. That is the sign of a healthy church. That's a sign of a healthy church. Because to exist and to live and to love and to be together with those who are so different from us means we need to rely on Jesus' peace to do that. The church is the training ground for us to get good at giving and receiving peace so that when we encounter a real enemy, someone who does hate us, someone who does persecute us, someone who steals from us or abuses us or does something like that, we have been trained how to handle that. We are fluent in the peace of God. So we don't just have to have a localized experience of peace. We can be bringers, conveyors, peacemakers. We can bring ushers of shalom outside of the church where it really matters. So here's how it works. When we accept Jesus' peace, we're deciding to be more about his way than we are about our own way. We become about his life and his love and his joy and his plan and not about ours. And that's when this beautiful miracle takes place. That's when I transition from my junk to Christ's joy. And I encounter a peace that transcends understanding. I don't get it, but I can somehow be peaceful. I can be reunited and reconnected with people who I should be enemies with. I can't, can't count the number of times that I've found myself in a place where, where I've been ruminating on the wrong thing. Now again, it's probably just me. But you know, somebody says something that's hurtful to you, 
or they leave you out, or they say a word of gossip about you, or they criticize you, and you feel hurt, and you go away, and you try and deal with it, but you find yourself ruminating on it, right, circling round and round about this. And I cannot tell you the amount of times that God has interrupted that rumination with another option. You could pray for this person, you could encourage that person, you can go and help that person, you can pick up the Bible, you can move into this different space, you can think about what I want to do in the world rather than what you want to do in that person's world. And God interrupts, and over the years I've learned to to listen for that interruption and to follow it, because when I follow it, I'm led from my torment to shalom. I'm led out of my inner angst into a sense of peace that reigns in my life. And every time I'm called away, it's because of this church. This church is the reason I am able to be pulled out of my torment because God is doing things in the church and because of the church, he says, get back onto this. Get away from that stuff. See, all of you, God has something bigger and better that's connected to the church than you're ruminating on the stuff that hurts you. He says, just leave that to me. Step over to here. We go, oh, there's peace over here. And this miracle takes place in us. The more you practice by faith, living in God's peace in the church, the more you will be carried by God's peace living in the world. It's awesome. Practice right here, right now. You could practice by going to someone afterwards who you maybe had a disagreement with and just showing some love or apologizing. Not that I think that's happening, but sometimes, you know, you're like, oh, what do I do? I'll just go say sorry. Go have a chat. Trust God's plan rather than your plan. And this piece is real. And it's available because of what Jesus did to sin. So we forget this, but Jesus exhausted sin of all its power on the cross. That's what he did on the cross. He said, sin, you have no more power. The only power you have is the power that humanity gives you. So the only power sin has is the power that we have. When we follow our sin, when we empower it, when we trust in it, it leads us away from peace into more torment. But when we trust in what Jesus did on the cross, which was to make peace available for everybody, We are moved from our sin and our brokenness into this place of restoration and healing and peace and shalom. It's a different rhythm. It's a different rhythm we get to live by. Some of you today have had your lives just ravished by worry, by anxiety, by concern, by bitterness, by grudges, by unforgiveness. And today Jesus is saying there's peace, there's shalom for you. A new rhythm, a new way. And shalom finds its origins in another ancient word, a word called sabbat. Can we say it together? One, two, three. Sabbat. It's good. That's the word that we in English call Sabbath. Not Black Sabbath, the band, but the Sabbath. Sabbath was when God was making the the world in Genesis 2. Um, He did everything. And he got to kind of the end of it, and as a result of that, he rested. God wasn't tired. It wasn't like God was like, that was well more than I bargained for. Those people and the detail, and they just, ah, it was just tough. I need a bit of a rest. That that wasn't why God 
rested. God rested to say, I've opened up this space for shalom, for peace. Come be with me. We won't achieve anything. We won't try and do anything. Just be with me. The Sabbat was the setting for shalom. The Sabbat, the Sabbath was where we reset to the rhythms of God. Where God is enthroned again in our hearts. Where insecurities are relinquished. Where our value is re-established from God's perspective. Where our fear is replaced with courage. Where our life resumes peacefulness. And God knew that peace would be so fleeting that every seven days he'd give us a Sabbath. So if you think, I'm no good at staying peaceful, that God knew that. He preempted it and said, every seven days, let's get back to this point with me. Every Sunday, you see, is is a gift for us to receive like the disciples received that gift from Jesus. It's it's to, to own and live in the shalom of God, to enjoy it and to be invigorated again and to be replenished and to be reorientated to God and be comforted. Imagine a world... Where if you didn't do that and you didn't take it seriously, you were punished. Imagine that world just for a sec. If you were naughty by doing stuff on the Sabbath, you were punished. Part of that sounds, oh, I don't mind that, enforced rest. So if you, if you didn't rest, if you didn't take time out, didn't cool the engines, you didn't spend time with family and friends or, or listen for what God wanted to say to you or eat good food and drink good, good drink, or worship God with your church, or stop all work and enjoy the very essence to get your spiritual tank refilled. If you didn't do that, there was severe consequence. Imagine a world like that. It's ridiculous, isn't it? That's the world of the Bible. Every word in the Bible was written in that world. A world where the valuing of Sabbath, of resting with God was prized above everything else. That's not our world. It is not. Our culture has lost the value of Sabbath and everyone is paying for it. Instead of Sabbathing, we are savaged. We've got to keep achieving, being perfect, working hard, rushing around, proving our worth, striving for success, keeping up with everyone and not taking a minute off. And if I do that, when I achieve it, I will feel peace. (laughs) Does that work? Does it actually work? It doesn't, does it? Because there's always more. There's always more. It is ruthless. It is relentless. There is never a chance to get off the, the treadmill. But we believe it. And I know we believe it because we do it. But remember Jesus' words? I don't give to you as the world gives. He doesn't give as the world gives. The, the world gives us all these things and we result, the result is we end up soulless. But Jesus doesn't operate that way. His gift is peace. It doesn't work the way our culture has convinced us it should work. His peace begins when we rest in God and his peace reigns in our hearts when we abide with God. So I'm going to wrap up now and I want to speak to three groups that are probably here today. The first group is some of you need to welcome Jesus' peace into your life. It is absent. You know it and you need more peace. 
You don't know where to get it, and you've turned up this morning not expecting for me to say, God will give it to you if you ask right now. No questions asked, nothing to prove, no special thing needs to be said. If you want Jesus' peace right now, you just ask for it, and he will give you his peace in its fullness. He has shalom for you. He has a different rhythm. He's calling you to it. He wants to give you that peace. Some of you need to welcome Jesus' peace into your life. But there's another group of you here this morning. Some of you need to go a step further. You need to reclaim your Sabbath so that peace can really shape your life. Peace for you isn't like I've never had peace, but it seems more fleeting that you like. It's more absent than it is present. It's not an anchor that holds you. And you're here going, I want, I want more of that peace. I'm familiar with it, but I want more. There are rhythms in your life that are sucking you dry. And Jesus says, have my shalom. Have my peace. It's a different rhythm. He wants to restore that peace in you. And some of you in just a moment, you need to talk to God about that and what it looks like. You need to open yourself up to what the Spirit wants to say to you. And the third group is some of you are excellent at Sabbathing. You're amazing at it. You are living with a peace that God has nurtured in you for years. You are the ones God uses to bring peace to others. So this is what God needs from you. He is calling you to more peacemaking. He is calling you to teach others, i.e. the first two categories, how to rest in him. He is calling you to help our church rest better. God needs you to share what you have discovered in God to encourage the rest of us. So we're going to pray now. We're going to open our hearts to what God might want to say. We'll let peace shift things in our souls. Let's pray now. Lord, there's so much about this world and our living in it that seems to just tear along the thousand miles an hour. And part of us loves that. Part of us finds security in it. Part of us just feels exhausted and ran over and run ragged by it. Lord, I pray for those this morning that need your peace right now in what they are facing and what they have faced and the circumstances of their life. They've been calling out for peace and I pray you would give it right now. Just as you, Lord, so tangibly gave it to your followers, give it to us today. Lord, I pray for those who are familiar with your peace, but don't Sabbath. They're not, they're not really resting. They're not finding you and joy and all your goodness in the day that you would call us to. And so, Lord, you know the steps that each of us need to take to get there, and I pray you would just make that clear for each one of us now. What is that next step? Stepping towards shalom, of trusting in shalom. 
What is it we need to stop and what is it we need to start? And Lord, for those, those titans of peace amongst us, empower them to share their wisdom and their journey and their learning of what it means to have peace with you and open our ears and our hearts to their wisdom. But Lord, you have given us each other. You have given us this incredible community to help one another, to strengthen one another, to exchange peace with one another and to own your reflection that you made us in that we might reflect your image to this world so in need of rest. And Lord, I pray finally that the conversation of your spirit would not end as I say amen in just a moment. This conversation would continue through this day and into this week and into next Sabbath and then the following Sabbath and the one after that and so on. That Lord, we would be saved by your grace because we have trusted in your words that your peace is enough that you do not give to this as, as the world gives that we should not let our hearts be troubled and we should not let our hearts be afraid because we know you the Prince of Peace so as we move into this final song I'm just going you can stand if you like but I'd invite you just to stay in this contemplative state while we sing a song over you if you'd like to stand and sing please do but if you need to just stay in this space just encourage you to continue to converse with God.